On this edition of the Scott Radley Show, we are asking why it is that every single night, every single day, we get up-to-date breakdowns of the numbers of people who are dying or sick with coronavirus, but we never do this with any other illness. Should we be? We're also going to be talking with Liram Hirelahu, who up until a couple days ago was the Ticats kicker. Now we'll be kicking for the Los Angeles Rams. We'll talk to him about pressure because what he has gone through professionally, personally, and even to try out for the Rams, that is pressure. Oh, and we'll be chatting about wine because if there's one thing that people are doing with their time these days, yeah, it's wine. (laughs) Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We try not to do all coronavirus on this show because heaven knows, I know you're hearing a lot of it. I mean, I, I do. I understand. It's, it's, it's overwhelming at times. That said, it is still the dominant story of our time right now. And every week it seems there's a couple things, a number of things that I wonder about that I have not heard answers to. And so I say, okay, well, who can I ask about this? Well, we found the person. Found him a few weeks ago. Found him more than that. But he's become our regular weekly stopping guy to answer all the questions that you have not yet had an answer to. His name is Dr. Ahmad Firas Khalid uh, from McMaster University. He's a doctor and a health policy a health policy expert. And we love having him here. Doctor, thanks for doing this again today. Hello. Hello. Oh, there you are. Okay. Sorry, we had a yes. wrong button press. How are you? Thanks for being here today. Appreciate yeah, of it, course. as always. Happy to speak to you, Scott. Thank you very much. So uh, I got a couple things I want to ask you about, and they, as I say, I don't think they're things probably you've talked about before. Um, every day on the news right now, whether it's here or TV or newspapers or web or whatever, we are getting updates, daily updates on the numbers of people who are sick, the number of people who have tested positive, the number of people who have died of coronavirus. That I've seen, we have never, ever, ever done this with any other illness. Why not? Well, I think over time, what we've done is that we've established better ways to collect that data. So we've seen this trend happening with SARS in 2003. Because of SARS, we sort of realized this need that we are able to collect the data much faster and report it in a much more transparent way. But also, Scott, I think times have changed. You know, when was the last time we remember a crisis where we had social media and we had platforms that we can disseminate knowledge so fastly and rapidly? I love the way you started this talk about the COVID-19, that there's almost like an overwhelming amount of information out there. And, and so many of us are talking about it through so many different platforms that becomes now, uh, it feels a lot bigger than it would have been 10 years ago. I speak to my uh, older family members and I ask them if they ever had a time in their life where they remember something capitalizing on everything and sort of galvanizing all attention. And they don't remember that. Maybe uh, 9-11, maybe. Yeah, and plus, and I lived through 9-11, so I was actually in New York City when 9-11 happened. And yes, true, 9-11 was like that, but we didn't have WhatsApp, we didn't have iMessage, we right. didn't have, you know what I mean? So it played out, yes, you heard a lot about 9-11, it was continuously on the news, but it almost sort of felt like when you shut off the TV station, you had a break. Now, I think it's hard to get a break from COVID-19 unless mm. you intentionally stop all uh, telecommunications. Well, and let me tell you why I asked this question, because I, I was doing some looking and finding some numbers, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but you, you'll vouch for me that I'm not making this up. Uh, there are way more people who are going to die in Canada in 2020 of heart disease or of cancer mm-hmm. uh, or of a lot of other things than of coronavirus. Now, I get why coronavirus is scary. I absolutely do. Uh, but we don't seem to... 
build the same fear or the same uh, panic or the same whatever it is around those other things. We, we, we just, I mean, we're aware of cancer, but we don't seem to walk around with the same level of fear about it. I love this question. So I'll, I'll try to break it down. I think partly the reason for that is when we look at, for example, heart disease, the number one killer, we know that if you part of the way to get ahead of heart disease is if you eat healthy, you exercise, uh, you, in case it's too late and you're on medication, you take your medication, you're going to live a very long life with heart disease. The reason why COVID is, is capitalizing and like sort of getting all this attention is because it's that bad wolf. We know nothing about the virus. At least we knew nothing about the virus. We're learning about it day by day. Also, most importantly, our systems were not ready for it. Uh, and I think that's where the fear and the anxiety comes from the unknown. We know a lot about heart disease. We know very little about COVID-19. We're learning it, but it's going to take some time. And that's a great point. But let me back up for one second, because your point also about, you know, we know what in a lot of ways causes heart disease or what causes diabetes, a sedentary lifestyle, uh, eating Mm. bad food, these kind of things. So in this case, we know, like we're telling people stay at home because we know that social distancing is going to prevent you from getting this. And everyone is following that advice pretty much. Mm -hmm. But we tell people, if you sit on your couch and eat chips and pop, you're going to get obese and you're probably going to get diabetes and that may lead to cancer or heart disease. And everyone goes, eh, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's so, just no sense of proportion in my mind of the level of fear. Sure, absolutely. So I, you're right on that. We, we tell our patients all the time to exercise, eat healthy, and some of them listen, some of them don't. But the difference is that for diabetes, we have a medication. So even if you don't listen, we still try to use the medication. The backup plan. Yes, correct. We don't have a backup plan for COVID, right? We don't have a vaccine. We don't have a medication. The, the medication we have for COVID-19 is physical distancing. That's how we should be thinking about it. Physical distancing is the medication we have currently for the virus. We need to see if this medication is working out, and that will take time. Like any medication we give out, you don't see response to medication right away. Have you ever taken medicine beyond Advil where you felt better right away? Susan takes us a few weeks for us to see that it made an impact on you. Same thing with physical distancing and coronavirus. It is the only current medication that we have that we know now to be effective in getting ahead of this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Having our weekly visit with Dr. Ahmad Firas Khalid, who is a health policy expert, doctor at McMaster, a, a man who knows his way around this situation with the coronavirus and the, the broader health implications. And just before we move on to the other thing I wanted to ask you about today, doctor, mm-hmm. uh, let me stick with this one for just one second. We're talking about the the idea that we are in a full panic and doing lots about coronavirus, but there's other diseases we know what causes them, and we don't seem to have the same urgency to deal with them. We are now, we've decided, we've shown as a society that we will do, or theoretically, because most people are following the rules, we'll do anything to preserve our health, to preserve life, to keep everybody healthy. When this is all over, do you see a possibility that that does extend to other things that we say, listen, if we're willing to shut down the entire economy to keep people alive, why are we letting or why are we telling you that it's okay to continue on with your otherwise unhealthy lifestyle? Can you see anything changing? Yeah, I hope so. So that's my hope actually out of this. I'm really happy you brought this up. I hope that COVID-19 is a learning point for not just the health system and our health system leaders, but as us as, as people, users of that system. And by that, I mean is that hopefully COVID-19 what will force us to think about creative ways that we can deliver health care to people who need it the most. 
Uh, and so, like, when we think about our older our older population, our senior citizens, that we need to get much better at reaching out to them so that we don't wait too late till they need treatment. So people who have high blood pressure, can we figure out a way that we can communicate with them on a daily basis and monitor their symptoms and engage them in their own treatment so they're not waiting till they get the drugs, we're actually helping them throughout their life. And I think this is where telehealth and mobile apps are gonna, we're going to see a much bigger investment, or the hope is at least, that there's going to be much bigger investment in that kind of technology to help people move forward with the times. We also see older people particularly, not only, but older people particularly every year who die from the plain old flu, the regular old flu. Yeah. And we don't seem to have any issue when someone has the flu leaving their house and then they go around some elderly person who gets it and dies. Could you see anything changing where going forward we say, if you have the flu, we demand that you do a 14-day self-quarantine? Because I, I don't know if any business is going to say, yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I agree with you. So I think that's one of the things we're going to be looking out for, too. One is that if people have, you know, in the past, pre-COVID, if you were sick, you almost have to convince your employer that you are sick by bringing a sick note or really putting forward an argument why you couldn't come to work. I feel like that's going to change. I think now the narrative is going to be if you have a fever or you have any flu-like symptoms, it doesn't have to be corona, uh, that your employee will say, just stay home. Please don't come to businesses. Don't interact with others. I think we're going to see that shift happening. And two, in terms of the senior population, I do think that we're, the, one of the reasons why we're not uh, as concerned with the flu as we were with COVID is because there is a vaccine for the flu. Yes, more people die from it. That's absolutely correct. But the thing is, we're hoping that with the flu uh, vaccine, that the majority of the population is not affected by it. Let me switch tone. We've got a couple of minutes left here, and I want to switch tack for just one second, and that's this. Um, read today that China is reopening some of their wet markets, and we understand that the, the, the semi-official, anyway, we don't really know what to believe coming out of China, honestly, but the, the semi-official version is that a bat in a wet market, and for those who don't know, this is a market where they have food live and they kill it right there and then serve it to you or give it to you really fresh. But anyway, the, view, the, the, the opinion is that a bat in one of these wet markets started this whole thing. Um, they're reopening these now, and the, the shocking part is the World Health Organization has said, that's okay, we don't mind because we think they can be cleaned up a little bit, but that's okay. Australia and some other places have just reamed the WHO for saying this is okay to do. The World Health Organization is supposed to be the, the, the standard bearer for the health news and dictums for everywhere around the world. How do, we, how do we have a lot of faith in them, in this group that we, our country, has said, our leaders have said we're following the World Health Organization when they're okay with these markets opening and, and they seem to be taking more direction from China than giving direction to China? Yeah, this question has been asked a lot of me, actually, and others in, in this field. So I think that we have to remember that the World Health Organization plays a very integral role and that it's supposed to be the health authority for all of us, member states, countries around the world, to look for the best verified evidence in terms of crisis. And to be fair for the World Health Organization, they've done an exemplary job with corona. They didn't do the same in previous crisis, and we faulted them for it. But when it came to COVID-19, uh, you know, they were very forefront in terms of getting guidelines and answering questions. On the question on wet markets, yes, it is, it is odd that they are not having a, a much harsher stand on what that is and what that entails, especially that we do know that most likely the virus, it almost confirmed, came out of a bat uh, from those wet markets. So I think that the reason why they're probably hesitant is 
it's a political entity. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And it's tricky, I get it. But we want the World Health Organization, and by the way, SARS also came out of a wet market, we believe. Uh, We want the WHO to be a health organization exclusively, not a political organization. That's difficult because they're dependent on member states' funding. So until they don't depend on countries like us giving them money to take care of their... uh, So I'll give the comparison between them and the Doctors Without Borders who when they take funding from country levels or any organization, they don't get it earmarked, which means you can't tell them that my $10 needs to go to XY project. They decide where the money will go. That's not the case with the WHO. The World Health Organization is made up of member states. Each country gives them money, and depending on the money, the agenda gets set up. And so you, that's why it's political. So we can't dissociate the two. Unfortunately, that's the virtue of it. We need reforms at the World Health Organization to make it more neutral and so it doesn't have to answer to member states. Fascinating stuff. Always appreciate you taking a few minutes with us, Doctor. Thanks for doing this. Happy to speak to you. Take Dr. Care. Ahmad Farash, uh, Farash Khalid, uh, love having him on here. Very knowledgeable guy and um, interesting stuff because there are a lot of questions still. I mean, look, we are bombarded with information and yet there's still some things that I have not heard answers to and I'm glad we can get a few of them here. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's one of the ironies of sports, especially around here with the Ticats, with the Bulldogs, whatever, If you're a fan of the team, you want the players on that team to do really well. And there is excitement when they do really well until they do so well that suddenly other people are interested in them. Well, my next guest, um, that's that's his story. Liram Hiralahu, who has been the Ticats kicker for the last number of years, has now signed and is now going to be playing, going to be kicking for the Los Angeles Rams of the National Football League. Uh, Liram joins us now. Liram, congratulations. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That uh, does it sound strange yet, or is it uh, is it settled in that you're you're an NFL kicker now? Yeah, I mean, it still hasn't settled in, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, this is just the start of you know working even harder and uh, being even more disciplined than I already am, and just continuing on, you know, uh, trying to live out my dream. You, um, you're going to a place where you don't really have any history. They don't know a lot about you yet because, uh, I mean, you went to college at Western. You were in Canada, so you really haven't had the American exposure. Um, mm-hmm. How is your last name going to be pronounced <laughs> when you get down there? <laughs> uh, honestly, um, uh, <laughs> Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network had, had posted something earlier today uh, during their live show, and uh, he actually did a really He good did a job. good job. You're right. Yeah, I, I was... Uh, I was very impressed. And, Although he uh, did break it down by syllables to make sure he yeah, got it right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that works for me. But honestly, it's a very tough last name for me. I don't get caught up into it. It's What's the strangest? Days. What's the strangest pronunciation you've ever heard of it? Oh, it's been said so many different ways I can tell you, but most people <laughs> now with that Hallelujah song has been, been that. <laughs> well, I, 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 that's one thing I'm going to be looking forward to is to see um, first time there's a really excited play-by-play guy and he, he yeah. hasn't really done his research and then has to yeah. try and say it. and <laughs> It's what? Um, yeah. How does this happen? And, and I mean, not that you haven't been great. You, you were great yeah. with the Ticats. Your percentage mm-hmm. and everything was fantastic, but we've been in this lockdown mode. You can't go out and kick. You can't necessarily go to a tryout, not recently anyway. Exactly. How do you end up signing? Well, honestly, three days before they closed the borders, uh, I was at a combine, a free agent combine for kickers held in Arizona, and usually got about 100 kickers come to it, compete with the best, and uh, best free agent, that is. 
whether coming out of university or guys that played in the pros and had a couple of shots. And I was able to place uh, top four out of those guys and uh, just open uh, a few eyes. And, you know, a lot of these coaches watch the CFL. They, they see my track record and, um, you know, showing them that I can kick off the ground and kicking um, in difficult uh, difficult places like Hamilton. I think uh, uh, DT of uh, Sports Center has said uh, Hamilton is the toughest place to kick in in terms of opponent percentages. So I think these guys did a lot of research in regards to that and uh, you know, putting everything in perspective, my experience up here and the, our success up here is, has helped. And But the camp right before we uh, we shut down the country um, really helped for these coaches to see me live. So I, I was really fortunate being able to showcase my skills down there. And uh, luckily the LA Rams, both special teams coach and their assistant special teams coach were there. They took a liking in me and the fact that Greg Zerline had left for uh, Dallas a couple of weeks ago opened up a really good opportunity for myself to compete for, for a position come uh, this August. There's no, um, I mean, I, there probably are other positions in sports that have the same pressure that kickers have. The, the mm-hmm. difference is that you guys stand on the sidelines until it's pressure time and then have yeah. to come in. Everyone else gets to play and then there's a pressure moment, but they're into the groove. Yeah. But what's what's the pressure like so you, you've played in pressure situations you've mm-hmm. kicked pressure but when you go down and you're with a hundred other guys and you have to try and stand out and you probably know i'm guessing learn that mm-hmm. you go down there and miss your first couple attempts they've turned right. their head and they're on to someone else what kind of pressure right. is that yeah, honestly it, it, having the experience playing in the cfl has really helped me uh, playing in the great cups um playing in front of hamilton even as a visitor you know that's one of the toughest places to play in really preparing for those moments and just really honing in on your technique and mechanics and just making sure you're hitting the ball properly. That's all you can do during those situations, being mentally strong. That You know, you can't think. It's not about, uh, if you let that weak, uh, a weak uh, mindset come in or a negative mindset come in, then you're focusing on the wrong things. So a lot of times, whether it's in jobs or in sports, you just got to kind of zone out the, the bad and just focus on the good, focus on uh, the play-by-play and uh, it'll be okay. Um, so I just just focus on what I need to do. I end up being perfect in, in, inside the 50, and then went as far as 61, and that's where I missed from. So once you get above 50, uh, 50 then uh, if you're, if you miss your out. So I was able to go to 61 and hmm. finish the top four, and I was the top ranked out of the guys with uh, pro experience. So uh, quite a few teams took interest in myself and were ready to bring me in for workouts, but the board was shut down. So they have to be, do some unconventional things and keep an eye on me in terms of what I'm doing with training, with my kicking, with my coaches. Um, you know, I spent the last I think, 12 years with Coach Kick. Um, a lot of Hamiltonians know him. He works at the FASCO almost 40-plus years and one of the most inspirational guys and loves the kicking game more than anyone I know. So I, I spent a tremendous amount of time with him. And, uh, you know, very thankful for how he's helped me learn the game of football, learn the game of kicking and help me stay focused and understand how, what to do during situations. So have you uh, been, have you been able that. to kick though right now, Liram, have you been al- able to be outside and doing anything or just stuck indoors? Uh, I have been able to, uh, they're cracking down in a lot of areas, but, um, you know, when I'm kicking, I, I try not to bring a coach kick around with me just so. Uh, his name's Ken Urquhart. Everyone calls him Coach Kick. But, 
just because he's a little bit older and like our parents, we, we want to be safe and practice social distancing. So recently I've done a lot of, uh, like my own kicking, uh, which is a little bit, uh, more difficult, but if you don't have an extra set of eyes, see what you're doing in terms of technique. But, uh, I am able to get out there and uh, the weather has helped a lot, but looking outside the window and now it's snowing. So yeah. hopefully this, <laughs> exactly. Hopefully uh, this doesn't last long. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are chatting with Liram Hirlahu, who up until a couple days ago was the Hamilton Tiger Cats kicker, now the Los Angeles Rams kicker. And I, I got to keep telling myself which Rams team it is now. It's not St. Louis anymore. I got to keep up with these things. Um, before the break, Liram, you were talking about the, we were, we were asking about the pressure and going to this tryout and all these kickers and everything else. I want to talk about pressure for just a minute because it is the one thing I think you can disagree or agree. I think it's the one thing that separates kickers who are successful in football from others. Lots of guys have big legs and strong legs mm-hmm. and everything. It's the ability to perform when it really is at the highest level of pressure. How do you do that? Is that something that you're just born with that makes a guy a good kicker or can you learn how to do that? I think it comes from a little bit of both. I think it's a lot of experience. I remember even, uh, throughout my CFL uh, experiences, whether in a game or even practices, making the practices as hard as the games. Even I remember with uh, Coach Joe this year, we'd line up for game-winning kicks. I remember university, same thing. We'd have every Thursday night, we'd be running uh, suicides uh, from side to side. And uh, all of a sudden, Coach Marshall would just be like, okay, 42-yard field goal, make it or keep running. And if you miss, you don't know how long you're running. <laughs> so whenever you and your like teammates it, so. aren't happy. Oh yeah, you know, and uh, but if you if you make it, um, you know all, all the big boys are loving you because they they get to go inside and eat. So it's, I think it's a matter of uh, coaching and preparation, um, studying and uh, experience, and being put in those experiences and those pressures and games uh, to overcome them and feel the success of it. So I think it's a, it's a mixture. But you've been around, I'm not going to ask you to name names, but you've been around kickers who don't deal with pressure with pressure as well, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, is Again, is it something, could you, if you sat down with somebody right now who was coming up, is there something mm-hmm. in it that you could teach them how to deal with pressure? Or it, again, does it have to kind of, some of it be inside you? Um, I think you can teach them. I think you, you can help them be that much more successful in terms of, um, how to approach the mental side of the game. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, if you're a kicker, you got to be practicing and practicing and practicing these things and having those, uh, reliving those moments and putting yourself in those positions. And uh, just really, it, 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 again, I think it's a mixture of things, but I think you can help them get that much better. Uh, but sometimes some people just handle pressure a little bit better than others and um, just the way they are. And sometimes... You know, get a couple of good kicks, a couple of successful kicks that build a, a young athlete's um, momentum or um, builds his his ability to say, "Hey, I can make these," and those things help too. Well, one more thing, and I don't want to belabor this point, but uh, you know, interesting that the Rams have a uh, there's a there's a website called Rams Wire, and it's uh-huh. it's Rams News, and and they had five things to know about our new kicker. <laughs> And one of the things they pointed out is that when you were a young kid, when you were nine years old, I think you and your family fled from Kosovo during the war. And again, I don't want to tie too much into it, but again, I'm wondering if difficult times and having gone through really tough things allows you to deal with these things maybe a little easier than somebody else might. 
Yeah, I think uh, those pressures are. Um, but those are real pressures. Yeah, those are real pressures. You know, when it comes to sports, so when you've gone through stuff like that, I think it opens your eyes up to, you know, if, if a D lineman's coming at you to block your kick, it's a little bit different than someone coming to take your life. So mm. I think that helps a little bit in that aspect. I was saying in terms of experience and mixture of them, and then learning the techniques and learning your mindset of how to go through it. Uh, thinking success also helps. So. Um, but yeah, like I think those 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 experiences, unfortunately, have uh, now I guess fortunately have helped me um, succeed in in football. Did the you went to school here? You went to university here? As I said off the top, did the NFL ever seem out of reach to you? Um, I don't think it was out of reach, but my immediate goal was always the CFL. Um, and you know, reaching that goal, and then I worked extremely hard for it, and uh, I was able to be successful in it. And you know, going to a lot of these uh, free agent camps and seeing some of these guys that were kicking, and seeing that my skills are very equatable to theirs, and um, you know, kind of opened my eyes the last couple of years to be like, hey, why not give this a try? And see how this, where this goes. Well, and the beauty is that you know, and and most people don't like talking about money too much, and I'm not going to, but you have a chance now because of what you've done to set yourself up for life. I mean, you really do. You know, and you mentioned the point before coming from from the war. You know, our families came from nothing, and hopefully, eventually, I can I'm able to repay my parents and my wife's parents and help them. Uh, you know, be financially free in terms of not having to worry because they sacrificed a lot in their lives to have our freedom, to give our freedom and give our our lives the opportunity to go to school, the opportunity to get a job, and do all these things. So. Uh, I'm just hoping we, we I can help them out in, in any ways that I can. Uh, just before I let you go, the one thing, and we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about pressure, the one thing that you have not ever been able to experience, so it'll be a brand new thing, I don't think, mm-hmm. you've never kicked in front of 80,000 people before. Uh, have you? No. Uh, so what? What has close. that gone through your head about dealing with that? Uh, no. I mean, once it gets to that point, it's uh, it played in... In, in Europe for Team Canada and, and some big stadiums, uh, like where the you know they hold 120,000. Mind you, they weren't full for 120. But uh, I, I've had experience in big stadiums, big stages. Um, so I, I'm I'm not too worried about that. And just gonna be focused on what I can do. And again, those are one of those things that are distractions. And then and try and keep my head on the positive. It's going to be a lot of Ticat fans, I have a feeling, who are suddenly going to be uh, Los Angeles Rams fans. Uh, Liram, really appreciate this. Congratulations, thank and uh, thanks for taking some time. Hey, thank you for having me. Liram Hiralahu now with the Los Angeles Rams. And by the way, if you go online and look at the Rams' new facility, their new stadium that's being built, ooh, what a good time to go down there. I mean, assuming football's ever played again, but what a good time to go down there. That place is unbelievable. It's a palace that he is going to. Good for him. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. With so many people now, I was going to say trapped in their house. I mean, uh, in their house, in self-quarantine. And many people, they can't work right now because their businesses aren't operating or they they own a business and they can't do whatever. You've got a lot of time on your hands. I got to believe that a number of people are finding a way to enjoy a glass of wine to help themselves or just to make this even a more pleasurable time. Slower paced and now you got a glass of wine in your hand. Uh, Britt Dixon, you know her from her time. She used to be on CHCH. You'll remember her from that. But now she is working with the wine industry. She's doing PR and stuff for them. She joins us. Britt, how are you today? 
I'm good. How are you doing? I am. I'm doing fine, thank you. And and not to undercut your expertise as a wine expert, but I'm suspecting that there's a lot of people who might be considered wine experts right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I bet you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. There there are a lot of industries that are suffering these days. I'm guessing the wine industry is not among them. I think that you're right. I think a lot of people, uh, as you mentioned, are are drinking more wine because they're home and. There's not a lot else to do. Um, the wineries, the local wineries are making it uh, pretty easy to, to support them at this point in time with online orderings. A lot of time, a lot of them are offering um, shipping, free shipping and deals on their wines. And they're doing, you know, curbside pickup and contactless deliveries. Um, I wanted a couple to support some of my local wineries and they've arrived either same day or next day. Um, so, you know, people don't want to go out right now. They don't want to go to the liquor store. So they're they're ordering from local wineries. And from what I'm hearing from a lot of them is, is deliveries are up right now. And is that, is all that stuff new? I mean, all those, all those services and those opportunities, is that stuff, are those things that have just happened as a result of this? So you've always been or, able to order wine sure. online for most of the wineries. You know, they have that online shop, but I think... A lot of times, people like to go to the wineries. They want to they want to taste the wine before they buy it. You know, they want to want to have that winery experience. Uh, obviously, you can't do that right now because the tasting rooms are closed. Um, but the the shipping deals, the, the the case sales, and things like that are definitely new incentives during this time to to get the to get their wines out there and and to and to you know boost sales for their businesses and it's working. You mentioned about people going to the wineries. I don't know. Is this time of year uh, a time that there would be much traffic at Niagara wineries? Starting to pick up. You know, there was a a festival planned for March, which was a brand new festival this year um, that focused around sparkling wine. And there was a passport. So that's been canceled. Um, You know, we're just coming sort of off the ice line. It's a little bit of a slower time of year, but but definitely starts to pick up in in the springtime. So this is the time where they're, you know, getting out there with different festivals and different events and things like that, that have all either had to be canceled or postponed. So, you know, they're looking for other ways to reach their customer bases right now. Are wine tours a significant source of revenue for the wineries or is it just icing on the cake? I think I think a lot of uh, the a lot of the times when you when you go to a winery and, and you go on a wine tour and you spend that time learning about the wine and interacting with the staff there and you, and you sort of build that connection, then you're more likely to b- pick up a couple of bottles at the end of it. You felt like you learned something. You know, wine always tastes better. In my in my opinion, wine always tastes better when you're you know drinking it with people that you love. When you're drinking it in a beautiful vineyard or so I think I think the wine tours and getting people in there to taste the different wines is definitely a selling point. I think a lot of wineries are being really smart right now um, in in hosting you know virtual wine tastings online. So there's one winery in Beansville Fielding Estates Winery, and they're hosting virtual wine tastings every Wednesday night on Wine Wednesday with their winemaker eight o'clock on like Facebook and, and Instagram and they let you know ahead of time like within a week ahead of time what they're going to be tasting so that they're driving people to their website you can order that wine that you're going to be tasting that week drive to the winery you know they, they do the curbside pickup and there you go you have the wine and you're have you're still having that experience that you would have in the tasting room but you're doing it online online from your you know your couch the wine maker from your kitchen so I think a lot of them are being really innovative and creative with how they reach their customers right now 
What you're describing sounds very different to me from what I remember not even that long ago, that wineries, it seemed, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but wineries to me, it seemed, were great at making wine, but the business side, the innovative, creative business side was not always there. The wine was great, but you either picked it up or you didn't pick it up. And if you didn't pick it up, well, too bad. We're not going to bust our butt to go and make you pick up our bottle of wine. It seems like now there is a lot of creativity on how to attract attention to each one of these wineries. I think you're right. And there's such a small fraction of wineries. Like I think we have about 170 plus wineries in Ontario and such a small fraction of those wineries have wines available in the LCBO. So it's really hard to reach that customer base. And a lot of the wineries are small. They're family run. They don't have big budgets. So they don't really have money to put into marketing. So all of this and this push to online right now, and everyone's on their phone right now just trying to connect with people, this has been, I think, a big eye-opener for a lot of them because they're realizing that it really doesn't take much to connect with your customers. You know, we have amazing technology through Instagram and Facebook Live. You know, you throw out some videos and you can really connect with people that way. So I think that this will be a bit of a game changer and and people will realize the the power in, in marketing. And getting attention, this is such a this is such a hard one because I mean, if I go to the liquor store and I go to buy a bottle of wine for something, uh, I am not by any stretch an expert in wine, and I I hate to admit this because this is going to betray the just the absolute level of my ignorance. But very often, I will buy a bottle if I think it has a really cool looking label. If mm-hmm. it's a label that grabs my attention. That'll do the trick, but if you can't or aren't willing to go to the liquor store, it becomes way more difficult. If a label can't attract someone's attention, you got to find a new way to do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think that that people and wineries and winemakers getting out there right now and and sharing some of those stories about their wines and about their brands online that's that's a way to connect. You know, that's that's the next best thing to seeing that label that's going to catch your attention. Maybe they're putting up a picture of their wine and a really cool video of them pouring it and, and telling you a story behind it, which then piques your interest and then you might go on and order that. And I don't even, honestly, I don't even care if the story's true. <laughs> if you could come up with a good story, it's like, all right, sounds good to me. I, I'm not going to double check your work. It's, you know, sure, if, if that wine was brought over by Blackbeard the pirate and he planted a seed in Niagara and a trip we didn't know about, ah, sounds good to me. Let's go. Yeah. Um, now, there are, there's a separate, separate part of this. There are wines that traditionally have been described or pitched as spring wines. We're into a you know, a wine season, uh, often, I guess, a bit lighter. And uh, But are we following those rules now? Because there doesn't seem, we don't seem to have seasons right now. We, our season is house. And I so, know, right? so and do it's, we it's follow kind of any of these rules? right now in Burlington, yeah. so I don't know. <laughs> but so do we follow any of these or is it, or, or is the whole spring wine season out the window and it's just wine season? I think when we have those beautiful sunshine days like we've had in the last you know, week or so, we've seen a little bit of that sun and, and the warm weather. People are, you know, they want to reach for that rosé or, or the sparkling or a nice Riesling or something like that because they're just, you know, that, that sun feels so good right now. And sitting outside, it's almost like you're able to be a bit social with your, with your you know, family in your backyard. So I think we're seeing a lot more people um, reach for those types of wines. And, you know, a lot of those wines are great right now because they're, um, a bit lower in sugar, so you can find a dry rosé and a sparkling or pinot grigio or so, so blanc. And when you're 
you know, drinking a lot of wine right now, which a lot of us are, I think, you might be worried about your waistline. And, you know, everyone's talking about the COVID-15. So if you're choosing these wines that are lower in sugar, they're going to be lower in calories. Maybe a little bit more forgiving for your waistline. <laughs> Just 15? <laughs> I think I blew by 15 about two weeks ago. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, we, we forget this, that wine... It's a liquid, so we don't really think, and it's not like a milkshake liquid. We don't think, oh, it's, you know, it's got a bunch of calories in it, and it has, in some cases, an awful lot of sugar in it. And Mm -hmm. if you drink enough of it, it's not just the fact that you could be an alcoholic that is your issue if you drink enough of it. It's all, I mean, and I'm sort of being lighthearted about that, but it's, there are these other things in it. You drink enough, there are health issues if you, if Mm -hmm. you aren't picking wisely. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people right now, you know, we usually have a rule in our house. We, you know, we enjoy our wine on the weekend. During the week, we try to be active and, you know, do our workouts. And But, you know, it feels like every day is a weekend right now. It and does. I think a lot of people have, might have the best intentions. I know I've said, okay, it's a Monday. I'm not going to drink wine. And then, you know, you're sitting on the couch watching a movie after the test. Okay, let's have one glass of wine. Right? It's so Sunday it's- and a half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, the, there's one other downside to this though, um, Britt, and, and, um, uh, you, you probably understand what I'm going to be saying here, but with all this time on people's hands and people not, you know, the economy isn't necessarily great. I have to believe that an awful lot of people have decided they are going to try their hand at making their own wine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, I've, I've, and I'm, I'm doing the air quotes here. I've enjoyed uh, more than a few samples of people's homemade wines. Homemade wine seems to me to be one of those things that's a delicacy for whomever made it yes, and nobody true. else. That's true. <laughs> See, I'm pretty lucky. I have a lot of friends who are winemakers, so when I get to try their homemade wine, it's, you know, it's the good stuff. <laughs> you've, you've, you get good homemade wine? From, from my winemaker friend. Oh, well, from your, yeah, okay. <laughs> not, not from like Phil who lives three doors down who's brewing it in his basement. <laughs> no, I probably would stay away from that. <laughs> yeah, here, try my banana wine. It's delicious. <laughs> I made it out of avocado this year. It's, oh, I tried something new. Um, I have a great story about winemaking though. I have a friend who's a winemaker out in, uh, in West Kelowna in British Columbia. And because they had to lay off their staff and they, you know, they're, they're, can't work close with people with physical distancing. He lives with his wife and his uh, son and daughter-in-law. They all are isolating together right now. They all work in the industry. So he had to bottle this weekend because, you know, operations in the winery don't stop. And so he posted some really great pictures on Facebook of him and his whole family, like in the winery bottling. He had to recruit them all to come and help him with operations there, which I thought was really great. But that, uh, yeah, but that's a real, that's a real that's winery. A, that's a real winery. That's yeah. not the person showing up at your house again from down the street <laughs> where the, the, the cover of the bottle is a piece of aluminum foil pressed over no. top of it and saying, here, you better drink this by Friday. We're not sure what happens after that. <laughs> no, or it turns to vinegar. <laughs> that's right. Have you ever tried making your own wine? Um, I actually used to make wine with my papa growing up because I grew up in Niagara. So I have, you know, pictures of me as a kid picking grapes with him and making wine. And I was little, so I never drank it after I have no idea if it was actually good or not. But my grandpa always made all all of his own wine. So I'm not sure. (laughs) Uh, You know, there are some people listening right now, and you know this as well as I do, that are listening saying, what are you talking about? My wine is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, yes, okay. To those people who are saying that, yes, your wine is delicious. I'm sure it's lovely. I mean, you, you keep telling yourself that. <laughs> I especially like the parts that you have to chew when it's going down. Oh, no. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, you know, uh, look, everyone everyone is looking for this whole self-isolating, self-quarantining thing to be over sooner rather than later. And, and you know, winemakers are people and they're human and they want it too. But I do think that some of them are, are maybe not, from a business side, maybe not in quite the rush for this all to be over. Because um, I, I do believe this has got to be a really good time for some of those winemakers. It's been really great to see, to see all the support local campaigns and to see it everyone reaching out and trying to support local businesses. I think that's really great. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep at it and uh, I'll wait for my uh, complimentary bottle of uh, Brits swill when it, uh, when it comes out <laughs> of the basement, freshly stomped and um, you know, maybe partially brewed, but uh, Hey, thanks. For, <laughs> thanks for the advice where, yeah, don't, 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 nobody, <laughs> nobody has to drop off a bottle of homemade wine here at the station for us. <laughs> uh, Britt Dixon, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much. It's, uh, yeah, have you, um, I'm guessing that some of you listening have tried making your own wine. I've, um, I'm not going to name any names, so I don't throw anyone under the bus, but we've had a family member who once upon a time set up a home brewing, and I know brewing is not the right word, but that's kind of what it was, a home brewing apparatus. And, uh, I, I was, I, I was... I mean, it wasn't a meth lab by any stretch, but I, there was the same possibility for a chemical explosion. I was convinced from these wine bottles that were being, I don't know what was being put into them, what was being, what the wine was, and then they were being corked. And the the worst part was the way they were, he had built a wine rack facing on one of the walls, facing in towards the rec room. And I kept thinking one of these days, this is going to be like a shooting gallery. The pressure is going to build up and we're going to be sitting here one day and poof, 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 but his corks flying. Anyway, the, um, the wine was wonderful. <coughs> Excuse me. The wine was delicious. Yeah. Ben, have you ever made wine? I haven't. I'd love to try, but I have a family member as well who's, uh, they've given it a good go. Uh, yeah. And uh, I haven't you tried, tried it though. You myself. haven't tried also. You can't, uh, you can't be. <laughs> There is a, I understand the allure or the lure of making wine so that on average, by the time you bottle it, it works out to 18 cents a bottle. (laughs) That sounds pretty good. When I was younger, I was thinking, what if I made my own drinks? So that way when I turned 19, it would be ready. (laughs) What I'm going to go do is buy a sack of potatoes (laughs) and, and... Grind it up in a Cuisinart and shove it into a bottle with some water. And then in 10 years, something's going to happen. Bing, bang, boom. Bing, bang, boom. I got homemade whiskey or vodka or something. I don't know. Um, it wouldn't be whiskey. It would be vodka. Um, Just make grain alcohol and hope it works out. And look, the, uh, we're having fun. There are actually people who can make good homemade wine. There, the, I mean, there is some good homemade wine. Unfortunately... The, the there is a direct inverse proportion connection. The more you push your homemade wine on someone else as a gift, the more likely it's horrible. The people who quietly do it and drink it themselves and maybe share it, theirs is a lot of times very, very nice and very, very good. But if you're um, giving it away, there's a reason why you're giving it and not being asked for it. Yeah. Yeah, remember, I buy my wine based on the labels, and when there's no label... At all, just a scuffed bottle <laughs> with, with a thimble stuck in the end as opposed to a cork. Um, 
Yeah. I'd love to hear people, if, if anyone else out there has a homemade winemaking story, send me a little note, radley at 900chml.com, because I'm sure some people out there have tried. The roulette of homemade wine should try that. Yeah. And when you talked about the homemade booze, I, I see you're allowed to make wine at home. I don't think in Ontario you're permitted to make hard liquor. That's moonshine. I don't think you're, I, don't, I, I think there's laws against that. And, and, and heaven forbid you try making the homemade beer because somehow that is even more difficult. And again, there are companies that, that, you know, can sell you stuff. And if you follow the instructions to the letter, it can be okay. But too many people decide, oh, I'm going to put my own personal stamp on this one. Uh, you know, uh, we, we're going to throw in a little extra here. We're going to put in some honey and dark chocolate and see what happens. They say there's chocolate undertones. I'm going to put chocolate undertones in. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well. Good enough is not always good enough. You need it precise. I'm trying to think what could be the worst possible ingredient to put in a wine or a beer to add your own well, flavor. Well, originally, like in old, old England, uh, in London specifically, everyone had gin styles in their houses. They Apparently they would get to the extent of they just put like turpentine in it. Where well, it's like... Anything will do. Just put it in. Hope it turns out good. Easter just passed. So if you've got any leftover ham and you're at home brewing beer, see if you can make ham beer. Maybe there's maple flavoring in it and that might. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have pork flavored beer and wine. <laughs> it's my homemade pork wine. Yum. Give it a go. Yum, yum, yum. Uh, all right. We'll take a break. Recuperate. Stop thinking about these horrible flavors. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.